Good morning, everybody. I, uh, oh, mercy. I broke it already. I can see that uh, my reputation for spitting on the front row, I'm good, thank you, okay. has preceded me, and, uh, you know, everyone knows now, just don't sit in the front row if Keith is preaching. Um, so I'm glad that you are all aware. You all got the memo. Um, my name is, uh, is Keith Gove, and I'm, I'm one of the pastors that gets the, the pleasure of, of working here at RCC. And uh, this morning, I get to talk about immigration, and uh, I am going to do my very best <laughs> to get through uh, a ton of information. But let me tell you how this happened. Uh, we have this kind of orienting verse for this summer. Um, from Colossians 4, 5, and 6 that says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So how we ought to answer, we're talking about uh, the series maybe two months ago, where we're going through all these different topics. No one has been assigned a, a specific topic yet. We're just talking through. These are the things we're going to talk about. And, uh, and Todd says, Keith, we've got 10 million people here who came into the country illegally. Do you send them home or do you let them stay? Go. <laughs> and my answer was, uh, uh, so I, I'm, you know, like a cat, you know, you drop them, they land on their feet. So I said, okay, I can, I can come up with something. I, I said, well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a parent. And uh, in my house, if, if, you know, the rules don't mean anything, if my words don't mean anything, you know, if I say, you know, no cookies before dinner and I'm eating cookies, like, obviously, my kids are going to say, hey, well, the rules don't matter. You know, I can do what I want. It would be chaos in my house if there were no consequences for, uh, for breaking the rules. So I said, well... I'm assuming that this, this applies to nations and countries as well. So our laws have to mean something. When we agree upon something as a people, that needs to mean something, needs to count for something, and there need to be consequences. So I guess, I guess, I, I, I guess we send 10 million people home. <laughs> and of course, there's an uproar. You're going to send 10 million people home and their jobs and their families. And what are you, a cruel, evil person? So I had to do some more study, obviously. <laughs> I had to go back and say, all right, well, what on earth do we do? So I'm going to spend the bulk of our time. So I got a, a ton of stuff just to give us an idea of how big the problem is. But I have to give you some caveats. I'm not going to solve this today. <laughs> In case you were coming here this morning thinking, Keith is going to solve this. Finally, uh, I'm going to read you a quote in a little bit from Benjamin Franklin. We've been dealing with this as a country since before we were a country. I'm not going to be able to solve it in a half an hour. So if, if, if that is disappointing, I am so sorry. <laughs> but I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, and secondly, the problem is worse and, and more complicated and just more painful on a lot of levels than I'm going to be able to communicate. So... Whatever I give you, please understand that is just the tip of the iceberg of how many lives and families are all kind of tied up in this problem. And I'm going to deal primarily with those 10 million, maybe more, you know, estimates are all over because they came in without documentation. So we don't quite know how many people, but more than 10 million people 
who came into the country without the proper documentation. I'm going to primarily deal with those folks. And it's a challenging situation. So I'm going to try and give a, a, an overview of what that situation looks like. First, we got to start with, we are broken people. Every one of us, whether they're in Christ or not in Christ, we are all subject to the fall in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve chose selfishness over following God, and it has come through every generation since then. The sin, the brokenness, the corruption, the suspicion, it pervades all of us. And then in uh, chapter 11, it gets even worse, because then God separates people by language and by geography and says, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to split you guys all up. So the suspicion and the fear of people who are different than us, it just grows. It just gets bigger and bigger. And then Paul says, government is given for our good, that God has established governments to provide a, a basis, a system of punishments and rewards of justice to establish a foundation upon which we can survive, we can cooperate and not kill each other. So government is a good thing, and this is going to come up as, as we go through. It is intended to be a good thing, and it is a, a loving thing to provide this basis upon which we can cooperate. So now we jump ahead to the United States or, or the colonies. You've got chapter 11 of Genesis. Everybody gets split up. Now in, uh, in these new colonies, in this new world, all these people are getting back together again. And all those suspicions and all those rivalries and all those grudges and all those, you know, fear of people who are different all gets thrown into the same place. So let me read you a little quote from uh, Benjamin Franklin. This is 1755. This is 20 years before the Declaration of Independence. He's talking about the Germans. He says, they come in droves. These Germans, they're overrunning us. He says, very few of their children in the country learn English. They import books from Germany. And of the six printing houses, he's talking about Pennsylvania, of the six printing houses in our province, two of them are entirely German. The scandal. They will soon, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they will soon so outnumber us that all the advantages we have will not, in my opinion, be able to preserve our language, and even our government will become precarious. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? These Germans. Who would have thought that uh, Santa Claus and Christmas trees and all the things that the Germans have brought to America, at one point, those were seen as you know, scandalous invasions of, uh, of what they were trying to create. I'm going to skip the next one because I have way too much information. And so <laughs> if you see me passing through, um, it's just because I put in too much. So today in America, there are 40 million folks who live in America who were born somewhere else and have immigrated to the United States. It's about 13% of our country that was born somewhere else and now lives here as a, as a resident or as a citizen. Now, 10 million of those 40 million came without going through the proper channels, without go, getting the proper documentation. They came illegally. Now, why did they come? I'm going to do this 
as quickly as I can, and just an overview. Since a, a lot, maybe primarily, uh, the immigrants that we see in, in California came from Latin America, I want to give a little overview of maybe some of the reasons why they've come. Um, so you guys know Bonnie Teo, uh, works here at RCC. He gets all of our campus ready, all of the rooms every day, every week for all the different community groups and ministries that come in and out of our campus every week. He does an amazing, amazing job. Bonnie is from Guatemala. So Bonnie and I, we go to lunch about once a month and we talk politics and we talk Guatemala and we talk family and all this stuff. So Bonnie told me of the last five presidents in Guatemala, three are in jail for fraud, corruption, and money laundering or out on bail. The fourth one, his son and his brother were arrested, but he himself wasn't arrested. They were later cleared of the charges, but everybody just assumed they were guilty because the last three were guilty. Um, the last one, they just assume we haven't found the corruption yet. <laughs> it's there. We just haven't, it just hasn't been brought to light. So when the top is corrupt, all the things underneath, you have no confidence that the system is going to take care of you. The police have to be bribed to protect you. It's just an ugly situation. Homicide rates. Um, every country has a homicide rate. It's the number of people who get killed per 100,000 people per year. So it just puts it in kind of a, a, a manageable framework that we can look at. Um, so for instance, in, in Great Britain, the, the homicide rate is one. One person per 100,000 people in, in the country is, is murdered every year. Now, I don't want you to think that one is a good number. That's still a lot of people. They got 66 million people, so if one in every 100,000 is getting murdered, that's still bad. Even though it's one, that's still bad. That's still a lot of people. There's kind of our baseline. The U.S. is at five. Now, I could do this like much slower and you know, draw out the drama, but I don't have time, so <laughs> just imagine the drama in your head. The U.S. is at five. Five people per 100,000 are murdered in our country every year. Now we go to Latin America, and let's just imagine ourselves living in that context. Mexico, any guesses? 20. Mexico is at 20. Honduras, any guesses? 56. For every 100,000 people, 56 people are murdered every year. El Salvador, any guesses? 80. 80 people. Now, I hope in our life, in our lifetime, that we never personally know someone who gets murdered. I pray that's the case. I pray that we never know that pain. Imagine when the homicide rate is 80 per 100,000 people in a country of only 6 million. You're going to know those people. Those are going to be people you work with, people you went to school with, people down the street, people in your family. It is an ugly, ugly situation with way too many factors for me to adequately uh, get into. I'm just trying to explain kind of what is. So the legal system, I want to talk just a little bit about the legal immigration system, again, so we understand a little bit of why the illegal exists. So, man, doing a little bit of research about the immigration laws in our country, we've not done a great job at this. Um, there's been a lot of really ugly laws passed about who can immigrate legally into the United States and who cannot. Um, 
based on the color of your skin, the country you come from, the ideology you hold. We have, we have not done great at this. But in 1965, we put, a, we put a, a, an equitable number for every country. We said, no matter what country you come from, 15,000 people can come in on a, on a family visa, which means you've got a family member here who's saying, come, my, my nephew Ken lives out of the country, but I want him to come here. I'm going to advocate for him. I'm going to support him. I'm going to help him find a job, help him get connected, send him, let him come, and I will be responsible for him. Every country has 15,820 slots for those family visas for people to legally immigrate. Now, how many people, oh, I missed it. How many people do you think are in that line from Mexico? You just saw a million two. One million two hundred nineteen nine hundred seventy-seven. So I want you to put your mathlete hat on. If 15,000 people can get, it, get in every year, and there are 1.2 million people already in that line, if your number 1,219,978, how long is it going to take you to get to the front of the line? 77 years. 77 years for you to get to the front of that line. If nobody dies, nobody leaves the line, you know, everything stays the same. 77 years for you to legally get in to, to see your, your Uncle Ken or for Ken to get in to see his aunt. So... That's one of the lines, family. The other line I'll, I'll just briefly tell you about is asylum. People who are in danger, they're saying, I'm fleeing my country, it's dangerous, they're going to kill me there, I have to get into the United States. My life is in danger. People in that line is almost 400,000 people in that asylum request line. Now, to get an interview with the United States to find out if you have a legitimate claim if you are genuinely in danger, if someone is genuinely trying to kill you, is four to five years. So in four to five years, if they haven't caught up to you, you will get your interview, and then they will determine whether you get let in or don't get let in. So what do desperate people do? They come in any way they can, any way they can. In March, and this is the most heartbreaking, in March of this year, 2021, 19,000 unaccompanied minors came into the U.S. Uh, around the legal system, illegally, undocumented. In one month, 19,000 kids came to the States. Now, uh, uh, an organization called Human Rights First estimates that 60% of those kids who leave their village in Honduras, in El Salvador, in Mexico, wherever, to come to the U.S., get caught by the cartels and are uh, put into the sex trade, are used as drug runners, uh, are, are used in whatever way the cartel sees fit. So those 20,000 are the people who made it to the border, not to mention the ones who never made it there. And then when they get across the border, given our current climate at, at the border, who do you think are the people who are going to greet them on the U.S. side of that border to say, hey, I got a great job for you. I'm going to help get you set up. I got quick money in the country to get, you, uh, get your feet on the ground. Who are the people who are going to come to them? If it's not the police, it's going to be the drug runners. It's going to be the human traffickers. 
it's going to be the people who are going to take advantage of the most vulnerable people who have no one to protect them. I wish I could say it was going to be the Christians. I wish I could say that the people who love Christ are the people who are going to flock to these desperate people. Um, but right now, I, I, would, I would say that's not going to be the case. And so what do we do to change that? What do we do? Because there's a, there's a conflict in my head. What I, what I expressed to Todd, there's this conflict. Our country has a right to limit the number of people that it lets in every year. That's our, that's our right as a country. Every country has that right to limit how we do this. We have agreed upon laws and processes, and if our laws don't have consequences, that's not good. That just seems like chaos. So how do we do this? We know we are supposed to love people, but if we love those who break the law, isn't that, it feels like we're undermining the law somehow. How are we, how are we supposed to do that? Wouldn't it be a failure of submitting to our government if we love these people who break the law? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, no, it's not. I'm going to say we can do both. We can submit to our government and we can love people. And so we're going to go through, uh, I think, a familiar text, um, the Good Samaritan. And we're going to look at what Jesus calls us to do, what Jesus calls us to be, and uh, how we might apply this to uh, the current situation of immigration. So let me just pray for us as we read the text. Heavenly Father, would you speak to us? Would you give us wisdom, Lord, and help us to honor you in the way that we love people, in the way that we submit to our government, in the way that ultimately, Lord, we seek to honor you and love people? In Jesus' name, amen. So if it's okay, I'm going to summarize the story of the Good Samaritan. Is that okay? Um, a lawyer comes to Jesus and says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus pulls a Chapman and says, what do you think you have to do to inherit <laughs> eternal life? <laughs> and, and he says, uh, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yes, that's it. Do that and you will live. And the lawyer has a follow-up question, like every good lawyer, and says, well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this story about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan falls among robbers. He's beaten and left half dead. And uh, a priest walks by on this side, sees him over, and says, nope, not going over there, because if I go over there, I'll be ceremonial, ceremonially unclean, and I can't go to church, so I got to walk past. So he walks past. Levite, same thing, walks past on the other side. The guy who has mercy on this Jewish traveler is a Samaritan, the outsider, the outcast, the guy the Jews hated because they, they intermarried with the surrounding people and they were half Jewish and half something else. And the Jews did not like them at all. Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. And I think Jesus has three things that he wants us to see. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Clearly, throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, Old Testament, New Testament, we are called to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Those two things together. Secondly, we are called to respond to the needs around us. 
We, when we see this guy beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, he is our neighbor. He is the one we are called to help. We don't know how he got there. We don't know if, you know, he contributed somehow. He shouldn't have been going there. He shouldn't have been there at night. He shouldn't have gone, you know, without a flashlight, whatever. However he got there, he's our neighbor, and we are called to love him, to work for his good, for his advantage. And thirdly, I think Jesus tells this story to these Jewish folks to broaden their view of who their neighbors were. They had a very narrow view. Only other Jews can be my neighbor. Nobody else. Those are my neighbors, the other Jewish folks. And Jesus is saying, this Samaritan, this guy that you guys would say is a dog and not even a human, he's your neighbor. And you're his neighbor. So you need to love him. So what does it look like for us to show Christ-like love for our neighbors? Whether they broke the law, whether they've not broke the law, whether they came illegally or came without paperwork. How do we love in ways that uh, honor Christ and, and do as Christ did and continue to be his witnesses? Remember, Romans 13, Paul says, government is for our good. Submitting to our government and loving people are not uh, opposing commands, which genuinely I was, I was wrestling with when Todd asked me the question, how do, these, these, can't, these can't coexist. How do, I, how do I submit to the government and submit to those laws and love people? Um, the laws that our government has put in place are to provide this basic framework on which we can all cooperate. We have the ability you know, Sharia sang that song, Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the ability to go above the basic foundation of just justice. We have the ability to love, to show mercy, to show grace above and beyond what the government does or can do. And we get, in doing that, we get to testify that we have a higher law. We have a, uh, an influence on our lives that goes above and beyond and empowers us to love people differently and supernaturally. So how do we love um, undocumented, illegal immigrants? I think first we need to see them with the eyes of Christ. We need to see them the way uh, Christ saw the thief on the cross. Had the thief done something on that cross to earn his place there? I'm assuming yes. Did that disqualify the man from Christ's mercy and Christ's love? Not at all. Not at all. So we need to see whoever God brings in our path through the eyes of Christ. Does this person know Christ? Our primary citizenship is in heaven. Our primary citizenship is with Jesus. Our secondary citizenship is here. But our primary, uh, our primary calling, our primary vocation if we have come to Christ, is to be his witnesses, to be his ambassadors, to be showing his love to whoever we come in contact with, whether that person has papers or doesn't have papers. We need to love, to be kind, to seek their good. Um, I think the, the Good Samaritan story is, is just one example of, of Jesus trying to 
get us to see a broader, bigger picture and see ourselves loving, caring for, working for the good of others, stepping outside of our selfishness and looking with empathy toward the people around us. And I'm sorry, I keep looking at this screen. <laughs> I can't really read that screen, so I'm coming back over here. Uh, help with immediate needs. Imagínense que no pueden hablar la idioma, el idioma de, de donde vives. Si no puedes entender lo que está pasando, no puede estar uh, incluido en la comunidad, no puede uh, participar en el gobierno, no puede participar en sociedad, no puede par participar en, en votar, en ninguna de las situaciones importantes de la cultura, usted no tiene una voz. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, if, if we don't speak the language, Imagine yourself in a country where you don't speak the language. How can you be part of the solutions if, if you are immediately um, disqualified from the conversation, from the discussion, because you don't know what's happening? It's like watching TV in Spanish or in Korean or in any other language. You have no idea what's happening. It might be really valuable. It might be really important, but you don't know. You're just a spectator. It just sounds like a bunch of, you know, nothing. So one of the immediate needs, uh, Brent Hoover, who is one of our missionaries, introduced us to a community of immigrants in Eastlake uh, that are Chinese immigrants, and we're looking for opportunities to improve their English. So we created a group here called English Corner, where they would come and just hang out and make friends with people who are English speakers and learn English. And so Lynn Christinger and Donna Schuler and uh, Catherine Dieters just came alongside and helped folks learn to speak English so they could be part of the discussions, part of the solution, um, part of the community. That's just one immediate need. I mean, these kids who are coming over without their parents, without any adult kind of shepherding them, guiding them. Imagine the immediate needs they have. They, they're not even old enough, maybe, to drive, to work, you know, to, to find legal ways to support themselves in this country. We can vote for a system that is wise and welcoming. It doesn't have to be either or. That is wise and, and provides all the, all the protections that we think come with, with laws and with procedures, but is also welcoming and is also kind and also respects the dignity of these people who are coming, who need the opportunity, who need a place. And we can be good stewards of this opportunity. Um, Jesus said, I'm going to make you my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right before he ascends into heaven, he gives them this, this commission, this call. You are going to be my witnesses. And that call is for us as well. We are going to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, in Judea and Samaria, at the ends of the, world, ends of the earth. We have the ends of the earth coming to us from every country in the world. 
and we have the opportunity as Christians. The government can sort out and we can help <laughs> the best way to get those people processed in an orderly and a, in a dignified way. But while they're here, our primary calling is to be Christ's witnesses and witnesses of his love to the ends of the earth that are coming to our country, needing help, needing grace, needing mercy. We are in a position to be those hands and feet of Christ. Now, what about our documented and, and legal immigrants, people who stood in that line of 1,219,000 people, and they did it the way the government says. They did it the right way. We don't want to love the undocumented folks in a way that says, ah, you don't need, you don't need to wait in that line. That doesn't matter. You know, come in any way you want. So honoring the first, honoring them as people, right? That's the basic. That, that applies to every group we're going to talk about. We see them through the eyes of Christ, see them as ambassadors of Christ's love would, and we love them and we seek their good in whatever situation they're in. But very specifically, maybe that means uh, they have language needs, or maybe that means that they have, you know, job needs or whatever. We have ways to help in immediate ways, and we can treat them with the same respect that we would treat uh, somebody who has been in the country for generations. We can treat them with respect. Um, so I have a picture to show, and I don't know how well this shows up. This is not Bonnie and Clyde. This is not uh, Sacco and Vanzetti or, you know, some, you know, the Rosenbergs from the 50s. These are actually my grandparents. This is uh, my dad's mom and dad who immigrated to the United States in 1935 and 1940, respectively. Um, both were British citizens, and uh, one from Canada, one from Scotland, and immigrated to the U.S. So in two generations, um, I'm, I'm two generations removed from, from these immigrants, uh, and I don't feel that I get uh, treated with the same treatment that, you know, some folks who are here who are second generation uh, from Mexico, let's say, or, you know, from anywhere else, from Africa, from Asia, um, I get the benefit of, of respect, and people say, oh, Keith, he's American. Two generations ago, I wouldn't have been. And so we need to treat people with the same respect, regardless of how long they've been here, regardless of how long their family has been here. Um, and just on the, on the, if we're in a position where we're hiring people, we, we obey the laws that are there. We obey the laws that are there, and that guarantees that the folks who went about it the right way are being respected, and, uh, and we're working to change uh, so that the people um, who did not come the right way are getting opportunities as they are able. Uh, obey the laws regarding hiring and compensation. One way that we honor that they went through the process is just upholding the law that we've agreed upon and then finding ways to be merciful for the folks who've come in in another way. Um, and continue to be faithful witnesses of Christ's love. So now, third category would be, what do we do with fellow citizens? Not everybody is going to agree that we ought to love undocumented immigrants or illegal immigrants. If my only allegiance is to the United States of America and I don't know Christ, I'm going to say, hey, 
They're using up some of my benefits. I'm paying for them to go to the hospital. I'm paying for them to get treated for COVID. I'm paying. I would go back. (laughs) Obviously, they may not know or may not care about the story of the Good Samaritan. But for us, showing love, showing compassion, it comes at a cost. And so we can be merciful and we can communicate that love um, regardless of citizenship. So fellow citizens starts with we can love and we can see them through the eyes of Christ. But we can also recognize there is room to, to have disagreements or differences of opinion on policy. We don't have to all agree on how to solve this. But what we can do is lovingly stand for loving our neighbors. I don't have a great solution for how do we, how do we change our legal policy? How do we, uh, how do we change or, or what's the right number of people that we should you know, let in from all these countries every year? I don't, have, I don't have the answers. And in 200 years of our being a country, every administration since George Washington has tried to figure it out and has not yet been able. So it's okay that we disagree. But our calling, uniquely as Christians, is to be witnesses of Christ's love, regardless of how people got here, regardless of their status, regardless of how long their family has lived here. Our job, our opportunity, is to love people like Christ, to show them all the same dignity, the same respect as being created in the image of God. There are a lot of folks that are beaten and wounded on the side of the road. More than you and I are ever going to be able to help. So every day, we can say, Lord, I don't know who you're going to put in my path today. I don't know who that person is going to be who's on the side of the road. But Lord, give me the ability to be that good Samaritan. Give me the ability, the supernatural ability by your spirit to love whoever, whomever you bring in my path today that I could care for them in ways that they need cared for. I can meet needs where they have needs. I can see them with your eyes and care for them as though you yourself were caring for them. We can pray that every day. We can get overwhelmed by how big this problem is. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray that we would commit ourselves to being those people, those good Samaritans. Would you pray with me? Lord, we don't know what each day will bring. We don't know how to love the people that you bring on our path. Lord, it is too much to see this whole big problem and and just get overwhelmed. We need you to focus us on the person on the path today. Who is the person that we can help? 
what are the ways that we can proactively help change the system, but Lord, today, what's the way we can proactively love the people who are in need? Lord, give us your spirit, give us your discernment, give us your wisdom, and most of all, Lord, would you overcome just our inherent selfishness and help us be merciful, help us be compassionate, help us be caring. For your glory, Lord. Amen.